This episode of Talking With TK is brought to you by Populous. Check out their Master the Art of Sales course at www.populous.com.au. Welcome back to Talking with TK. I'm your host, Tristan Cannell, episode 68 of the podcast. And our special guest today is Monty Beetham. Monty is an absolutely fantastic athlete. He was a captain of the New Zealand Warriors for quite a while. A great player, represented his country, two countries, Samoa and New Zealand, and he did it with quite class. He also made a pretty impressive switch into boxing. He made an 8-1 and one record. His only loss was actually against Shane Cameron, who was an absolute legend of Kiwi boxing. So he comes from great heritage. Of course, his old man is Monty, Monty Beetham Sr. He's an absolute legend as well of Kiwi boxing, 43 and 10. We're going to share some incredible stories as well as he's going to tell us a little bit about Monty Sr. actually training over in Miami with the likes of Angelo Dundee and Muhammad Ali. But of course, this is all about Monty today. So we're going to be touching from the start all the way through the success of league. He was even a karate, pretty successful at karate. And even today, he's doing really, really well with his commentary and also Steps for Life, which is his charity. So we'll be looking at all the trials and tribulations through his entire life. It's quite the incredible story. So thank you for tuning in today. If it's your first time here, probably the best thing to do is to subscribe, which you can do for free via iTunes, Overcast, or Stitcher, or anywhere you can pretty much get podcasts, you'll find Talking With TK. If you can't find it, get in touch with me at Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com, or I've got it all online, guys, www.TalkingWithTK.com. You'll find show notes, episode guides, and a player of each episode, so you'll never miss a thing. But probably the easiest way, if you do have access to iTunes, simply subscribe. If you do have a little bit of time, if you could leave me a review, really helps me get seen by more people. And if you love the show, please share it with your family and friends. You can connect with me on my social media, Twitter and Facebook. I'm at Talking with TK. I've also got my personal page, Tristan Cannell, which is spelled K apostrophe N E L L. Or you can also find me on Instagram at Tristan Nell. Or if you ever want to have a chat, you've got any requests for guests or, you know, any way I can improve the show to make it even better for you guys, just send me an email, Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. All right, guys, let's get to today's episode, and I introduce Monty Beetham. All right, guys, my special guest is Monty Beetham. Monty is a former captain of the New Zealand Warriors and also Wakefield, while he also represented Samoa and New Zealand. He made an impressive switch to boxing with an 8-1 record, while today he's a trainer, commentator, and he's also heavily involved in his charity, Steps for Life. Welcome to the podcast, Monty Beetham. Morning, Tristan. What an introduction, man. <laughs> Mate, that's all you, buddy. That's all you. Oh, look, it, it, it's um, it's crazy how time flies. I turned 40 this year in about uh, four weeks' time. So um, before you know it's over, so uh, do what you can, I, I guess, with life and just enjoy it and love those who matter the most. For sure. Well, happy birthday early. I'll get it in now, mate. I'll uh, send you another message in four weeks' time. But uh, let's start in the present, man, because I love people that have gone and extended themselves, especially in terms of charity. So can we start with your charity, Steps for Life, how you set it up, and exactly what it means for you? 
Yeah, I think as a kid growing up, um, you know, I was um, on my way to potentially being obese. I mean, I was a, I was a chubby um, toddler uh, coming in, and then my parents put me into karate, uh, which changed my mindset, which helped me um, get in shape. And my dad also had a big um, belief that, you know, fit body, fit mind, and uh, fitness was, was key. So thankfully, I got put into karate, which changed my life, and, and I used my body as a vehicle to do some wonderful things and meet some wonderful people over my time on, on this earth. So um, I think about if that hadn't have changed and what it would have been like for me. And um, I want to give these kids now because it's all a charity all about the, the youth and helping them out. You know, it's hard enough growing up in this day and age uh, without all the side effects of obesity and, and the spin-offs that come with it, man. Uh, you know, the kids can be quite cruel, uh, yeah, especially sure. to um, uh, kids at school that are a lot bigger. Yeah, I know in Australia it is quite an issue. How big is the issue back back over in New Zealand? Well, I think we're third in the OECD, man, um, which which is horrendous. You know, I've always been proud of this country and how we bat above our weight on the world stage. But uh, when I was reading uh, an article one morning surfing the net, that came up and we ranked third. And that's when I thought straight away, I got on the phone to my sister, gave her a call and said, I found my calling. I hung up straight away because mm. I was so excited. But then I rang her back and she's the co-founder and now the CEO. And um, it's it's been great that I've had her on board um, to live this passion with me and, and help me run this foundation that's dedicated to youth obesity. Yeah, Mont, how much also is it to educate the parents? Because I've got a lot of friends back home, Samoan, Tongan, and even just Maori families. And when you get invited to a lunch or a dinner, like it is a big smorkers board, as it is in my family, and I'm Mauritian. But how much is it also educating the parents? Oh, look, it is educating, but it's a problem now because when we're growing up, you know, everyone knew the, the fat kid in class because it's only the one or the t- or two. But, you know, if you come home now and you, and you, and you talk to your kids and you, and you say, who's the fat kid in class, everyone might be able to give you that answer because it's becoming much of the norm. Uh, you know, I'm an islander. Uh, we love our food. All our social life is in and around food, and yeah. that's the sign of respect. You know, you have seconds, you have thirds, and you eat what you can because they've been slaving in the kitchen. Um, and the problem growing up is, you know, uh, you give your kids so much love. Here, have a lolly. If you do this well, we're going to reward you with a treat. And, uh, you know, we, we make a rod for our own back, and, you know, we've got amazing sports stars that we absolutely love that are um, – endorsing some of the wrong products that probably we shouldn't be to some of our kids. It makes it really difficult, man. Yeah, for sure. You know, you spoke about your your father before, and I'm just really interested. I've watched a a couple of things on him on YouTube. I know he had an outstanding record, 43 and 10, 23 KOs. I heard a little story that he went over and trained with Angelo Dundee and Muhammad Ali. Was was that true? Oh, it sure was, mate. It was amazing. You know, I've I've done a bit of part-time boxing, um, but growing up, I was a karate boy, but it was it was my dad um, that got me thinking, you know, what he did from humble beginnings back in Samoa and took on the world was amazing because I still speak about it to this day that my dad was over there with Angelo Dundee and he actually sparred with Muhammad Ali oh, wow. um, a year later in his life. <laughs> but uh, when I look at that, man, the goat, and, and he got a bit of time to do that. Um, it was it was a real merit to the dad, and, and I'm proud of him to this day. Um, he was a good middleweight boxer. Uh, back in the day, we were the best, fought the best, and, and you didn't really try and look after your, your record or, or pad your career along the way, and there wasn't as many divisions. So I'm very proud of uh, what the old man did, and uh, and uh, even you know Anthony Mundine and his dad uh, to a certain extent, and they fought over time, but. Mm. You know, it, it just showed me that if you work hard and you're willing and if Dad can do it from humble beginnings, it means why can't you? Did you ever get a chance to watch him live? Never live because I was sort of not really at that young. age and, yeah. and I wasn't allowed. And 
and I don't think my mum would have liked it too because apparently she was a nervous wreck and even when I uh, boxed for a little while there, she was a nervous wreck and she couldn't watch it. She didn't even <laughs> want me to box or fight, so yeah, okay. I can understand that, much like my wife. Yeah, well, what was it like growing up as his son? Was I'm assuming on the streets there would have been so much respect for him, but at the same time, I'm sure that there would probably be people because of his you know, reputation and his slight celebrityism that he, they might have been trying to use you guys you know what I mean, because of, yeah. of him. How was that growing up for you? Um, look, at sometimes, I, wouldn't, I won't lie, it opened a few doors, or people recognise who you are, being of the same name, Monty Beetham Jr. Um, but, you know, later in life, it sometimes made it a little bit more difficult. But, you know, early on, I wondered why everyone knew my dad. Yeah. Everyone spoke of him, and I was like, wow, really? Until one day after school, they brought me home, and they showed me the scrapbooks, and they showed me the footage of my dad fight. And I was just so impressed and, and so in awe of the man and what he did, especially when you hear stories of him traveling the world sometimes uh, the day before or two days before, which is uh, absurd, but he just did what he had to do. Um, and, it, and it's a hard profession, um, you know, and, and, you know, from the Lord New Zealand after coming from Samoa, he did some wonderful things. But later on in life, you know, obviously when you try and do a bit of boxing, uh, you always get compared to the real deal, yeah. which is uh, Monty Beatham Sr. That was a little bit awkward and a little bit hard because you, you never quite match up. Did you guys ever have a conversation about, you know, you just being your man and you trying to achieve what you wanted to achieve away from him? My dad's not a man of a, a lot of words, um, but I guess we didn't have a, a direct conversation about that or one that I can remember and isolate it down to, but he was always sort of like that, you know, you, son, you just do your own thing, and I yeah. think early on, him being a boxer and me being a rugby league player, it helps that we were separate, because um, I think I went and watched him play a rugby game, a, a, a social rugby game one time, and he was ordinary. So I, <laughs> I could understand, okay, I might not as be a great boxer like you, but, geez, you, you couldn't play rugby or rugby league. But, hey, it, it's one of those things. These days you get players who can do everything, or athletes that can do everything. Yeah. So um, I admire those. But, um, yeah, so I think that helped. You know, If I was trying to be a boxer from day dot, that may have, may have been hard and awkward. Yeah, Mike, you, you spoke about... Your karate days. Can you tell us a little bit about you know the tournaments you did? Because I read somewhere else that you were competing in the opens as an under sixteens, and you were doing quite well. Yeah, um, I guess uh, my dad used to like watching his uh, karate films, and used to uh, hype him up for some of his boxing matches and stuff. And then he got me one day. I got in trouble because I was breaking the broomsticks and the pots and pans, and I put a few <laughs> holes in the wall. So he says, that's enough, you're going to karate, because uh, mum didn't want me to box, um, and they thought that would be great for me, because I was an energetic little kid, and obviously needed to lose, lose a little bit of weight. Um, so I went along uh, to karate, and we tried that out, and from five or six years of age, I, I got into it, and I loved it. I didn't love the kata side or the formal side of it, but I loved the, the committee and the sparring side. Um, so the last time I competed, I was uh, 16 years of age, but we were also in the Auckland um, Grand Final. Uh, so I couldn't go in my age group because um, so I had to fly back to play in the grand final at Carlow Park. Yep. So I um, went in the men's division. I won the under 85 kg division, and then I went into the men's open and, and ended up winning that as well. Um, and I tell you, everyone, it was, it was the best weekend of my sporting career. Maybe I peaked too soon because <laughs> I went home the next day and I, and I scored three tries in the grand final. So there you go, eh? What yeah. a weekend. But that must have given you a lot of confidence being 16 years old, mixing it up and tossing around the, the men. That must have also extended back into your, your league and your union. Yeah, I just, I just, you know, because it, it was only semi-contact, it was, it was touch point, but you still, you know, it, it takes a skill set in that because you've got to throw as fast as you can, you've got to evade, but 
you've got to have the control not to knock someone's head off. But um, I, I guess I went in there with the attitude of, I'm not expected to win. Uh, let's have some fun um, and, and, and just throw caution to the wind. And, and that's what I did. And it was probably all these these men who saw the 16-year-old come in and thought, well, they're, they're the ones who had the pressures. And you know, I was a little bit more awkward in my movement and a little bit of speed. And um, and I guess in the end, um, because I was having so much fun and, and, and being freed from any um, expectation, um, I got the, the results and it was awesome. And then, like I said, coming out the next day and scoring three tries in the grand final, wow, awesome fun. <laughs> what a weekend. Absolute cracker. All right, Mon, tell me about how you, because you were a rugby union player first. Growing up in Auckland, what is it like there? Because it does seem a little bit more that you can kind of fall in love with rugby league in that town as well. What's the split like in that sort of... You, you couldn't, man. I back back in my day, you couldn't. It was, um, you know, I'm, I'm 40 in about four weeks' time. Um, it was very much uh, a, a rugby place. I grew up playing rugby. I despise the game of rugby league because I had an ignorance. I had no idea about it. <laughs> I hadn't even played it. Um, you know, I remember at school telling people, "You're playing the wrong game." Everything else. I, I made a rep team earlier on in rugby, and the coach wanted to go one year later and, and trial the game of rugby league and see what it's like to coach in that. He called me over. I went over, played my first game, and I absolutely loved it. It was it was amazing. So I saw the light. I played the great game of rugby league, and uh, I've been uh, fortunate to go on and do some good things. But just that's how I normally talk about it when I go into schools, saying, yeah. you know, I was one of those guys. And back then, uh, case in point was uh, uh, no one really spoke about league. No one really played it. It, it wasn't a competition in the schools. Now they have a national uh, competition put on here in Rakebilly schools that I commentated for Sky TV not too long ago. Mm. And they have every scout um, this neck of the woods um, down watching. So it's some real viable career paths. Um, rugby league's going pretty well, although after the Warriors and the Kiwis last year, um, it's going to take a hit. Yeah. Um, but, but, but it is a viable career and, and it is a sport that people like to play now, whereas rugby used to be the sole sport in this country. Yeah, is that spread across the whole nation or are there little spots where the league schools are kind of coming up? Yeah, it's still Auckland's predominantly the, the main area and hub for rugby league. Um, Wellington still scatter a few. Christchurch um, uh, still got the odd uh, good rugby league player. Um, we pick up some gold in around the uh, rural, rural areas. Uh, but it's, you know, everyone's strength is still predominantly rugby up and down the country, uh, the South Island especially. Uh, but rugby league's hub still is Auckland. Uh, that's the place where you grow up and you play a lot of league and then maybe you play for the school at the same time. But um, I think the strength really lies here in Auckland City. Guys, just a quick break in today's episode. Last week, we had West Tigers front rower Tim Grant on the show. And here's a little quick preview from the chat with Tim. You know, you watch Origin. Origin was massive in my family. It was like, like I said before, it was like Christmas Day. We'd just hang around the TV and there'd be a build-up to it. And, you know, it was so... For me to actually get to play in that arena and have my family there, it was, um, it was surreal. It was unbelievable. Tell me about the first kickoff because it is... Something special between, you know, just in rugby league because it was the young ball and he took on the old ball. And yeah. Petro lined you up. Yeah. Tell me what happened. Well, it was early in the in the camp and Ricky Stewart said um, if if we kick off, sweet, but if they kick off, they kick to our left, their right, um, mm. do you want to take the carry? And I was like, yeah, like, of course. Like, you know, I sort of, we've spoke about that, me and my brother and 
and our family and that always speak about our first carry in Origin is like when we were kids we'd hang around the TV and like that's 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 what Origin was for us is like let's let's that's the start of it let's, let's go you know so when Sticky said that to me I was like yeah of course like I'm, I'm pretty keen and then it just happened I, you know I was I was pretty emotional um, just knowing my family was there and um, you know I just. 80,000 people, it was in Sydney, so it was pretty pretty much all a blue crowd. Yeah. Um, and I thought, all I've got to do is catch the ball and then just run as hard as I can and what will be will be. So I just got the ball and ran as hard as I can. And, you know, if, if I'd done it 100 times, I reckon Petra would knock me out 99. I was just... <laughs> got that one. I just got lucky and, you know, he had one foot off the ground and it just, history, that's it. That's, that's what happened. So go, guys, go back and check out the episode with Tim Grant, plenty of NRL and rugby boys have all been on the show as well as plenty of other superstars across Australian and New Zealand sports. NRL, if you're really into that and you're a Warriors fan, guys like Sione Falmawin has been on and, you know, Legends of League, Andrew Eddinghausen, Bradley Clyde, Paul Harrigan, you know, the list goes on. There's a whole stack of NRL guys on there, so please... Go back and check out the old episodes. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show via iTunes. If you can, please also leave me a review. You can pretty much find the podcast anywhere, Stitcher, Overcast, or you'll find it all online, www.talkingwithtk.com. Monty, what were you like when you were growing up as as a player? You know, we all admire you for your enforcer style that you, you brought to the professional ranks. Was that something that you also did as a child? Oh, not at all, man. I was actually a half uh, and a 5'8", and, oh. and, and that would make you laugh, really, because, you know, when I grew up and I played that, I, I was a donkey and I was an enforcer. Uh, but I was, I was a really good talker at a young age, uh, a good director, and when you've got wonderful, strong players in the Auckland um, area uh, that are running, feeding off you, I'd encourage them, I'd get them fired up, and, and I'd, I'd just sort of orchestrate and, and, and pull their strings, and they'd play so well. So coming into the grade, I was a, a, a halfback and, and a six, and then I never had to kick. So I never had the kicking skills because yeah. we would just dominate. Uh, we had such great players. But it wasn't until later on in life um, uh, when I sort of had to change positions because I, I made the, the Warriors side. Um, I was uh, junior Warriors in 97. I was a scholarship player in 95 as a 15-year-old in the halves. Um, John Ackland picked me, but then... I became full-time in 97 as a 19-year-old, um, and I was still playing six at the time, and for the Junior Kiwis as a captain, and then we beat Australia that year. But it's when that sort of moment happened when Frank Endicott was the coach, mm. and I was full-time, and he came to me at the end of the first year, and I had a couple of uh, knee injuries and so on, so ACLs that I tried to play through. He said, look, if I'm the coach again next year, you won't be at this club. Ooh. And this is, you know, this is hard because I made every Auckland team, every New Zealand team, um, every scholarship available on the way through. So, and I was missing with the big boys, um, so I couldn't believe it. And I said, "Is this right? Is is this happening?" And um, and at the same time, I had an ACL problem that I haven't uh, quite um, got remedied yet. I hadn't had an operation on, so I was sort of playing through that, trying to trial for the Warriors. Mark Graham. Thankfully, came over, and um, you know, after a few prayers and a, uh, and a long off season, trying to work hard, trying to hope that he wouldn't be there, so I could impress uh, the new coach. Um, I, I got that chance, and in uh, that chance with Mark Graham, after proving that I was worthy to, to sign a contract, um, I found myself more in the role as the forwards, you know, more of a, yes. a second rower back then. So, you know, 
the relationship with Frank obviously is a little bit sour. Did he end up coaching you for New Zealand? No, because that's that's a problem. I went in there one afternoon, and I, you know, I was expecting to have a pretty good um, conversation with him because I, I was wanting to play first grade that year. I didn't get the chance; had a couple of injuries. Yeah. Um, but when the coach of the the national team, which is the Kiwis, which you've got ambitions to play for, and also the Warriors first grade coach says you're not in his plans, you, you take a hit, man, and you don't know how to take it, especially when you've made every single team possible and you're meant to be. Uh, the young one coming through after captaining the, the, the Junior Warriors to the grand final, after captaining the Junior Kiwis to beating um, Australia or, or tying a series. It was like, wow. And on top of that, I had a, a, a cruciate, an anterior cruciate ligament that I hadn't um, fixed or operated on. So it was, a, it was a dark time for me, and I was like, what am I going to do? All my dreams and aspirations are gone, and one afternoon I'm shattered by the guy who holds the key. Yeah. So even though Mark Graham takes over, that doesn't mean anything. What did you do to actually, you know, get out of that negative mindset? Uh, look, I um, whenever I went on holidays that that, that whole year um, off season, um, I, I just stayed behind and I trained my ass. I've gotten the best possible shape and I looked great. Mark came over and he says, "Geez, you know, you you look like Tarzan, but I want to make sure you don't play like Jane. <laughs> um, so I'm going to see what you like in the trials and if you're good enough, you're going to get signed up and then. Um, it, was, it was great. We had a couple of trials. We played the Brisbane Broncos, um, Langer and Renoff and all these boys. And then we played Melbourne the year that they won it the first time. Uh, Lazarus and all these big um, guns, Stephen Cooney, whenever. What made it worse than that trial, which was one of the important trials to decide whether I was going to get signed or not, was um, Stacey Jones woke up sick and he's never missed a game in his life. He was spewing violently all night, so I had to play halfback. How'd you <laughs> go? Game. I went all right, man, because, you know, I played that, that first half. He brought me off. Um, I got injured, sorry, and he brought me off, and he says, I'm going to sign you, but I'm going to find you. Find you because um, you should have – I think it was you got to strap your ankles. I didn't strap my ankles before the game. I was just too excited. And um, and, and I had a great game and um, got signed up. And, and, and from that negativity that I carried for so much and the burden on my shoulders because the weight of expectations, because I didn't share this with my, with my parents as much. Uh, my wife now was my girlfriend at the time, so yeah. she, she harboured a bit of my, my stress in, in the dark times. Uh, but then I just kept it to myself. I remember being at a friend's house one night, staying the night, and I couldn't sleep, and I got up outside, and I was just sort of – going doing some run-throughs and, and just seeing how the, the leg feels. And, and even through the trials, you know, I was playing with no uh, anterior cruciate ligament. I was just, you know, always worried about it and, and the fluid that kept popping up in the knee. Yeah, is that all it takes at that level, that one little moment to get you out of that dark times and help you build a little bit of momentum? Well, you've, you, you've got to find the moments, and there may be a few moments, um, and you've got to... You've got to take them, you've got to grasp with, with two hands all you can. And still that one moment may not be enough, but you've got to look for the next moment that you get that opportunity again. But if your purpose is strong enough, and that was my purpose, was always to play for the Warriors and play first grade um, at home in front of my family team. I was born and bred here in Auckland. That's all I ever wanted. I captained every team. You know, when I signed a scholarship for the Warriors at 15, I'd, I'd sit there and do my maths about the statistics and um uh, and, and, and how I'd play first grade and what I'd do. And, um, you know, because I was never the most talented, but I was always um, methodical in, in my approach and, and how I planned to to achieve things. Yeah, Mike, you just spoke about, you know, captaining you know, all the teams coming through the junior ranks, and you were very well respected as a captain into your pro ranks as well. What, what do you think it was about you that coaches really saw in that leadership side of you? 
Yeah, I, I guess the leadership is, is the key, and I I don't know what it is or if I was a natural at it, um, but, you know, I always had a, a, a way of talking to players and um, finding their purpose, and because everyone's purpose is individual, you know who they are and how to pull on their strings at the right time, and normally they'll be in the breast out of the players. Mm. Um, but, you know... In 2001, when the Warriors made the playoffs for the first time, we had a co-captaincy of um, uh, Kevin Campion and, and Stacey Jones. And, you know, we, we just made history. Uh, yeah. We made the final. And then uh, when that season broke up for the year, uh, Matthew Ridge was at the club and Daniel Anderson called me in and they said, and Mick Watson, and they said, hey, listen, um, we want you to be the captain next year. And, and no one knew. And I said, what? How, we just did this. How old were you, 22 or something? Uh, I was 23. I was 23, and um, so when I kept in the Warriors the following year, I was 24, and then I was taking off a, a childhood hero in Stacey Jones, who was Mr. Rugby League and probably the greatest Warriors still to this day who's played for for the team. Um, it was crazy. Um, and um, <laughs> at, Mont, at 24, how do you gain the respect, especially Stacey Jones and Kevin Campion, who are in their early 30s and have done it all? How do you gain the respect? Oh, look, I think Campo had it there for me anyway, and Stacey obviously respected what I was doing and where I was, but he didn't, I don't think he had the idea that it was coming, and yeah. what made it worse was um, I had to tell Stacey myself that, that uh, well, they told him, but I had to talk to him the next day at training, and I, I still never forget that, but the class of the man was that I didn't see him first. I was sitting down, and he probably timed it right because, you know, obviously I looked down on him. But he was looking down at me, and he, he said mm-hmm. to me, I, I heard you're the new captain. Uh, and I said, yeah. And he goes, well, don't think you're going to boss me around. And he started laughing, but he broke the ice <laughs> straight away yeah. and showed the class that he had. And, and he just he just made it so much easier and a, a simple transition for me. Um, and, and it was great because I, I think they knew that I was always going to be a captain or, or, or in, the, in the senior environment in terms of a leader at some stage, but it maybe came a little bit sooner uh, than expected. Yeah, Mike, what do you do? Because in 2002, you actually spent a lot, a lot of that time on the sidelines. You got injured. When you're still the captain, like, what's the role that you take when you're not actually going out on the field? Uh, that's where I'm probably um, showing my strengths more than anywhere else because um, I'm always in people's ears. I'm always motivating. I'm always challenging, and um, I'm down at training and in everyone's faces. And uh, you know, in 2002, you know, that was one of the things. Or I'm in um, at one of the players' houses talking to them because they're having a problem with the club and and the family. So I'm sort of in and around that. So these are all the things that people don't realise exist within a club situation, and was probably my strengths. Um, and that's probably why. And the other thing, I was never afraid uh, to tell someone, look, that's wrong, you shouldn't be doing that, uh, whether it be someone who's been playing five years in front of me or or not, you know, the right and wrong. And I guess that's probably why I got um, lifted to that status a little bit earlier. Um, but, you know, that's, that's my strength. You know, I remember um, putting in a couple of letters before the boys played in the final series, talking in front of everyone after Kevin Campion had his um, grand final rings, talking about it, what it meant to me, how I was possibly going to miss out and how they should grasp the opportunity and everything else. So um, that was a big year for me, even though I didn't play for the Warriors, but it was more so what I was doing and how I was chatting to everyone pre-game, post-game and during the week just to get everyone up. It must have been a bit of a... A bit of a mind fuck though, when the grand final comes around and you actually are fit, that's the week you come back, but realistically you probably know, having not played the whole season, you're not going to be in the team. 
How did you handle that? I, I look back at it now, and I never really pushed uh, to be in the team. Um, and I was talking to uh, Ricky Stewart, um, and he thought I was definitely going to be in the team. He, he thought I was going to be the team name, uh, no matter what. So they were preparing for that. Uh, this was after the grand final. So, so were you but, ready, or was that a bit of a switch uh, from the coach? Look, after that Roosters side and what they played, I could have played. And after that, I went on to play for the Kiwis uh, a couple of weeks later. Uh, I passed the medical, and that's fine. Um, but, you know, this is this is grand final. And when you've got a team that's on a roll that's been playing so well going into it, why would you change a proven formula? I guess that's the thinking behind it with Daniel Anderson. But now, every now and again, I think about it and I think, you know, maybe what I, I, I wish I did pressure him a little bit more for me to play because not once did I ask him, can I play or pressure him to play because of, you know, so, I mean, um, not many players get an opportunity to play more games for your country in a year than, <laughs> than your club. And uh, in 2002, uh, you know, coming back in such a short time to be ready from ACL was awesome. Uh, but, you know, I got to go on a, an old school tour. Um, back in the old days, we used to play midweek games mm. and, and also play the, the test matches and also play against Great Britain. I think it's the last time um, a side has played against Great Britain rather than England. Okay. So that was amazing. So you played Eight against weeks. the Super League teams and stuff as well, like a full kangaroo tour. Like yeah, that it was style. awesome, mate. Yeah, nice. Yeah, we'd, we'd play midweek. We'd play midweek against the sides and then also play on the weekend. Um, so, I mean, that was such an amazing... And we even went to France. I think that was eight weeks on tour uh, with your brothers, um, having so much fun and, and just living life and, and, and living the dream of the old school tours. You know, used to get up and used to watch those games on TV and think one day, wouldn't that be fantastic playing at these um, uh, old school grounds with so much heritage in England? Yeah. Yeah, Mont, you know, you guys went through that little period there where the the Warriors had a lot of success and you're building a little bit of a dynasty compared to you know the recent results of the last couple of years with the Warriors now I'm not sure if you have much to do with them anymore at, at self but even from just observations what do you think is lacking now in the culture that they probably can fix to kind of replicate what you guys achieved in those early 2000s well, that's the question. No, that's the hard one. Um, there's, there's, there's a few things, obviously, from looking from the outside. Um, the, the want to compete. Everything that we did um, through that era, which was really successful, we competed at. Uh, there were con games. There was eating lunch. Whoever eat lunch want to eat lunch faster than the other. <laughs> um, anything we could do, you know, we really taught. Every time we had one-on-one um, uh, games where you had to try and evade someone or, or step them, we would really try our best uh, to, to put everyone on show and to step up, not in a bad sort of way, but just because we enjoyed it. We enjoyed everyone's company. We had a lot of young guys with with, with the touch of the experienced heads. And, you know, we, we, we played what was in front of us and we played a, a nice brand uh, of football. And on top of that, there was some real physicality. Um, you know, even if, if we didn't win the game, that team the next week would probably lose because of the shoulders and the confrontations yeah. that we had up front. Um, I think this team misses a bit of uh, that confrontation and that um, that toughness um, in terms of impact. Um, but I also like what they've done in the off season in their recruits because I think they've 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 got a few change ups. They've got some players in there with um, some passing abilities, with um, some X factor. Um, you know, some different tempos that you play against. You know, in the past you see the, the back row straight up and down. Now you've got the Tui Harris's, you know, mm. Ignatius Pussies. You've got the guys that can put a shot on. They can play the ball pre-line, post-line, uh, and a different shape to tackle and hold. And, and that's what you want, you know, and, and, and I think that's going to be key. But all in all, 
everyone's going to have to want to play for the jumper, no matter if you're on 100,000 or you're on a million. Yep. And, um, and I, I think that's the key to our team in the past. Everyone wanted to contribute and we're happy to contribute no matter what money they're on. Guys, just a quick break in the podcast again. Today's episode is presented by Populous. If you haven't checked out Populous yet and you're a business owner looking to increase sales for your business or maybe create efficient, profitable systems, I can't speak more highly enough. They've actually looked after me, helped me in terms of creating a system, a foundation for both my podcast and my side business, and taken both to the next level. I actually get some personal mentoring from the CEO, Ro Singh. He's a close personal friend. Can't highly recommend him enough. So please get in touch with Ro. He's got a big conference on at the end of the year featuring Tom Hopkins. So check out the check out their website at www.populous.com.au and that is spelled P-O-P-U-L-I-S. Thanks again for tuning into the show. If you haven't yet, please subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, or you'll find it all online at www.talkingwithtk.com. Just a quick update of what's coming up in the rest of the season. I've been pretty busy over the last couple of weeks, so we've recorded with the likes of AFL Former AFL Sydney Swans superstar Wayne Swass. A couple of the NRL boys will be coming on. Mark Hughes from the Newcastle Knights. Joe Williams used to play at South Sydney as well as Robbie Paul. So he's a very famous New Zealand and also Bradford Bull. If you're into your fighting, Tim Zhu, the eldest son of Costa Zhu. He's 7-0 in the pro ranks. He'll be making an appearance as well as a huge one with Socceroos captain Mile Yedinak. So look out for that one. A couple of international guests will be making appearances. So the first time, we're going to be breaking a touch away from the Australian and Kiwis. So Dorian Yates, six times Mr. Olympia, he'll be coming on, as well as the world's greatest lacrosse player, Paul Rabel. He'll be making an appearance as well. So guys, look out for these episodes in the coming weeks. If you've got any guest requests, send them through at Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. I would love to hear any feedback that you've got for that. Or, like I said, subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, or you'll find it all online www.talkingwithtk.com. Yeah, does it matter in terms of culture? In terms of was it when you were coming through, did it make a big difference when there was two or three Aussies in the team? Look, um, when we started early, there wasn't a lot of Australians, but then there was a heap of them. And I think it's... I think it's having the right people in there uh, more than anything else. I think Kevin yeah. Campion and Ivan uh, Cleary were exceptional, and Kevin Campion in particular helped um, shape me and mould me to what I knew was right, and I was going down that path and reinforced it. So I, I, I kept on that track. You know, I shared lockers uh, next to Ivan Cleary, and, and he was wonderful. Uh, in 2002, we had a, a good Australian presence. 2003 is probably the least uh, Australians we ever had, but we were one game off the grand final, um, eventually, you know, losing to Penrith, Penrith yeah. Uh, yeah, who went on to win it. But I, I, I do, I do rate uh, some of the Aussie mentality um, because obviously, growing up playing over there, um, you're you're open to it very early on. You you experience it. Where over here, the competition is not as great, um, and it seems to be. Uh, getting less and less people playing it these days, which makes it really awkward to have that good, great competition week in, week out to teach yourself. Yeah, you know, you just mentioned Ivan Cleary. Even back then, did you kind of notice that he was a little bit different? Maybe he might have been analytical or anything like that. Did you Did you have a sense that he might go down the coaching path? 
Yeah, I was, when he came and I heard he was the coach um, afterwards, I thought that's great. I thought, you know, I think he retired probably a little bit early. Uh, he probably could have still played on, but he, he saw an opportunity and he took it. He was always that guy that was um, analytical and always that guy that um, had a good football break. And I used to like talking uh, rugby league with him. Um, but I, I suppose I didn't pick him in, in that situation or in that box of, of, of being a, a coach. It wasn't obvious that he was going to be a coach. Yeah. Um, probably, probably at that age, because I was young, I thought you'd just play forever. Um, and that's the way it's going to be. Um, but he always, he always, you know, every time you have a, a session, um, and you're talking about tactics or strategy, he would always be amongst it, and he would always have some wonderful things to say, and you take it on board. Yeah, on reflection now, it must be pretty funny that, I think Nathan was one of your ball boys, wasn't he? And now, yeah. Now he's absolutely killing it. Oh, so, you know, I, I always uh, message Nathan every now and again, and he's such a humble young man, uh, what he is doing. Just watching him play in the um, junior Australian team and dominating him for Penrith and that, and then to get onto that uh, world stage and play so well in the NRL and... Um, you know, I, I think it's he's not far away of getting higher rep uh, honours, and you know he'd be great instead of Origin. And, and one day when he puts on that Australian jumper uh, for the Kangaroos, he's going to be a great player. He's going from strength to strength. He's a big boy, um, but he, he 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 plays so well. He's a smart boy, and you could see he's got the calm and and the sporting mind that uh, Ivan would have uh, wanted. And um, but he's got a little bit more X factor than Ivan. Uh, I don't yeah. think mind me saying that. <laughs> For sure. Hey, Mont, in terms of coaches that you've had through your career, you had some magnificent coaches. Was there anyone that you admired that for, for their – not only did they teach you how to be a rugby league player, but was there anyone that maybe you had a relationship outside of football that helped you with life as well? Yeah, I hear about these coaches. I hear about the Wayne Bennett's and, and that of the world. Um, I never really had a coach who sort of – uh, I stayed friends with, even though I still see them and we have that, that rapport and that relationship. Never really had a, a, a mentor figure, but in terms of the best coaches, I think 2001 when uh, Daniel Anderson and um, Tony Kemp were together, the combination that they had were brilliant. And yeah. I think that's another reason which brought out uh, the best in us. You, you had a, a young guy and Daniel Anderson who probably didn't finish his apprenticeship, um, but he came over. Um, he was bubbling. His enthusiasm was there. And you had Tony Kemp, who was fresh out of playing over in Wakefield, I think, who also had a great sporting uh, mind, um, but he got on really well with the boys. Um, and, and we could relate to them, and, and, and we, we felt that love between them. And I think those two together with Matthew Rich hanging around um, and a very good CEO in uh, McWatson, that was part of the success. Yeah. You know, back in you know 2005, <coughs> excuse me, 2005, you have another piece of adversity. You know, after giving your heart and soul to the Warriors, you know, you had sections of fans and a lot of the media turning on you for an incident, I think it was with Anthony Tupo, that might have yeah. changed one of the games through the Sydney Roosters. How did you how'd you get through that period of time and maybe even for people out there listening now dealing with adversity, what advice would you have for them? Oh, look, I, look cause I, I guess I was building for a little while because at one stage I was becoming um, the whipping boy or, or the, the scapegoat on, on uh, radio sport and, and talk stations back here in New Zealand and, and that was just the way it would be um, because I was never really the enforcer but once it came to a point where uh, Stacey and some of the other guys liked um, that role and how I was playing and other guys got up and left it in and around it and other teams maybe f- uh, feared a little bit. Um, 
um, Mick Watson tried to um, push me down that path and really liked it because he, you know, he's from the old school and he, he liked the way that that was going. So the game was sort of starting to change over a bit, and so that's when um, I went from this other player who probably couldn't score a hundred meter tries. Yeah, I was a good leader and everything else. I could tackle, I could help you in that situation, but what else could I contribute to the team? And and that was another big part of it, which was getting the boys up, intimidating. Um, and, and and you know striking a little bit of fear into the opposition or making them have a look. Yep. And uh, and that was the role. And you know there was a few section of the media here who, who would uh, bring light to that. And um, you know we didn't get the results that we perhaps liked. And um, someone had to take the the blame. And I guess I did. Uh, but that week after that uh, Anthony Tupo incident, um, and just on that, every time I've got into a fight, um, we've we've never lost a game. <laughs> Even though there was no there was no punch thrown in the Anthony Tupo incident, uh, but they took a try off us, and uh, they went back to that, and, and and it was crazy. So there was a section of the media of the the fans, I believe, when my name was called out, who booed. But you know what? So what? They're they're entitled to that. Now, as a forty year old, um, I look back and I go, sweet ass, that's cool. Um, but you know, at that age when I was young, and because. I literally died for the club. Well, not literally. I, I gave my, my blood, sweat and tears for the club and I mm. do so much in the background to push. It, it really hurt me, but it hurt my, my family members and that more than anything else because they would hear it and it got to a point where they were copying too much and I thought, you know what, it, it's time to go. I can take it, um, although it hurt. So it, it's time to leave and um, that's when I decided to go. So that's how I coped with it. It's probably, it wasn't ideal, but that was the way that I could... Uh, Relieve the pressure and the family members, so I went overseas to to Wakefield Wildcats. Yeah, was that a respect thing? The fact that you didn't want to play for another NRL team and try to go as far away? Man, yeah. I, I grew up and all I want to do is play for the Warriors. I don't want to play for anyone else at all. I don't even want to go to the Super League. I remember over there on on, on tour in two thousand and two, and Gary uh, Freeman, who was the coach at the time, said, "Mate, would you come play over?" I said, "Never." And he said to me, "Never say never, champ." And uh, and I was over there, you know. But I didn't expect to to have that um, sort of carry on back here in that time during two thousand and four, two thousand and five, where you know I I became that boy uh, in that situation, which had that love hate relationship with uh, some of the fans and, and some of the media. Yeah. But but that's that's life, man. Uh, you just got to take it on chin, and um, and it's up to you and your purpose and what's more important to you because all I ever wanted to do was win a premiership for this uh, Warrior side. And I missed out on that because um, I, I had to go overseas. And there were one, it was a wonderful year. I enjoyed my time there. But, you know, it's it's what you want to do in life and your direction you want to take. Yeah. Is that is that why that it was only a one-season stint in the UK, that, that desire was gone? or? Yeah, look, I... All I wanted to do was play for the Warriors. I went over to the UK. I really enjoyed my time, and it was some great people there. Um, I really loved the club and, and everything about the boys that I played. I was probably closer to some of those boys than I was back here in the Warriors. But um, you know, playing for another club, the club that I didn't dream about playing for, not the jersey that I always wanted to represent, and um, you know, being the donkey again, yet again, it made it hard. I was, I was halfway through my uh, my contract with the club, a two-year contract. I was meant to be there for a while. I think I was only. 28 years of age, um, and I was aspiring a local pro over there, and um, and I went alright. And he's like, "Oh mate, you need to you need to sign up. You need to, the manager was trying to get me to sign up and, and, and box, not worry about rugby league." I said, "No, that's yeah. cool, that's fine." And I spoke to Mick Watson, the old CEO, and he says, "Mate, well, why don't you come and box back here and and give up rugby league and, and have a bit of fun?" And I try to 
uh, broached the idea to my pregnant wife at the time, and she was not for it somehow. <laughs> yeah, she did not like it. And, um, you know, so I was a little bit naughty, really, because, you know, even though I played really well and we, we got up and we sat out of relegation, I sort of had it in my mind that I lost the desire to play rugby league and I, and I wanted to come home and box because I was homesick and I also loved the club, uh, loved rugby league. Um, but it was boxing that I wanted to do because over so many years I had always been the one that had to motivate people to get up and play a game of rugby league. And I didn't see how I should be doing that because it's it's a privileged game. You get paid good money. Um, you shouldn't have to do it. So I thought, you know, this is an individual sport. I don't have to motivate anyone. I get up every day to do stuff that I want to do. So... Let's take it on, because I've always admired um, boxers and what they do. So mm. that's when I, I told my wife, uh, eventually, after a very long time, that I'm giving up rugby league to, to, to box, and I'm not going back to England, uh, which was a very hard conversation, um, but, but that's how it went. What about the conversation with your mum? Oh, mate, that was, the wife was probably harder than the mum. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, that was probably harder than the mum, but my mum sort of... Because, you know, you have to see your wife every minute of the day and you have to really cop it on the on the chin if, if something goes wrong. Because, you know, I was on probably some of the best money I've been in my whole career and I should have probably stayed there for another five to seven years. But it was never about the money for me. Um, and, and you can say that while you're earning the money, but when you're not earning the money anymore and you come back and you've got kids that are coming on board and you've got uh, mortgages to pay and everything else, it makes it difficult. So I, I knew, I weighed it up and I thought, you know, this this could come back and hit me because you know, our family may struggle ongoing uh, as a result of me deciding to change tact and um, switch my purpose to another sport um, and, and, and come home and want to stay at home. So it was, it was a really hard conversation. Um, but in the end, uh, my wife took, um, took it and uh, she took it uh, really well and um, you know we're high school sweethearts and um, and I thank her for that yeah your boxing debut must have been pretty special you debut over in Samoa in Apia am I pronouncing that correctly yeah yeah that's right it was it was especially for a number of reasons you know early on um, you know as you do um, you don't always see eye to eye with your dad or he's a tough man and you have these hard tough upbringings and um, you know it's nice to sort of do something uh, where with my father, um, he was helping coach, and he was in my corner um, at his home uh, town or home um, country where where it all started for him, and go back there and, and, and debut there, and, and I draped in the Samoa flag when I went out for the ring walk, and Dad was in my corner, and the anthems were going, and the people of Samoa turned up, and it was electric, man, it was, it was amazing, and I and I really did enjoy it, and. Um, I still think back to that and, and just think it was a wonderful moment. And if I enjoyed it that much, I'm sure my dad did too. Yeah. Talk to me about the discipline because, you know, in rugby league, you have to carry a little bit more weight. But when you have a look at you, your pitches boxing, man, you're ripped as hell. What, what were you, like 88 kilos or something? Yeah. Um, well, I fought at 90.7, which is cruiserweight. Um, yeah. So, you know, you know, I finished playing league. You know, I was up probably the highest around 98, but then I'd also play around 94 and 95. But okay. it's not a lot to lose but you know the body shape just changes dramatically um and uh, you know at first i thought i can't do this how am i going to lose all this sort of weight but um as you do in everything every everything if, if you want to do it properly if you've got the right focus and purpose you just get it done and um and and that's what i had to do and then in time you just get good at it and, and it's not a problem uh, you know at the moment now i'm sort of uh, around uh 89 90 kilos as well so it's like okay that's it was probably my natural weight. Anyway, it's probably put on a bit to play rugby league. 
Um, but the discipline and sport of boxing is crazy because you know sometimes you get up and you play on the weekend, and uh, if you're if you're feeling sick or if you're not having a good game, you've got teammates who can uh, get yeah. you out of trouble or win the game, and you can look to them. But in boxing, you know, it's great that you don't need to motivate anyone else; you just motivate yourself. But at the same time, if you're in there and you're struggling, or if uh, you've come up against a competitor that's um, better than you, um, you, you soon find out. Yeah, Mont, hats off to you, man. Like, for someone that only had nine fights, you took on Shane Cameron, who was an absolute beast, and you, <laughs> and you went the distance with him, man, and you were competitive. Oh. That must have given you a shitload of confidence coming from that fight. That's crazy, man, because, you know, I fought for a year, and um, it got really frustrating, so I retired from boxing, and... Um, and that's what happened. And then they had this league versus rugby um, fight night that, that happened, the fight for life, and it was getting quite big. And they said, Monty, will you represent rugby league? I said, yeah, sure, I will, man. Give me a rugby player. I'll fight a rugby player. And they had rugby players dropping out all over the place. And then uh, Dean Lonergan rang me up probably two weeks before we were getting going, and I was helping train the other boys. And he goes, uh, Monty, sit down. I said, what? Didn't like where this was going. He goes, um, <laughs> uh, look, um, I... Um, haven't found a rugby player, but I found someone before. He said, cool, man. Who is it? He goes, uh, Shane Cameron. Oh, my <laughs> I God. I said, what? <laughs> Shane is a league man. He's a good league man. He goes, look, no one wants to fight you. You know what that feels like right now when I've just told you about Shane Cameron. Will you do it? Wow. And I was like, wow. <laughs> and, and there was a pause, a long pause. I said, look, look, mate. Because I didn't think about me straight away. I thought about the two people that I already had a conversation with about boxing, and they didn't like that anyway, which was my wife and my mother. And I had retired from boxing because it was, it was pretty frustrating. And how I was going to have that conversation with them. And it was like, wow. And you can imagine how that conversation went with my wife and my mother. My mum was almost in tears saying, don't do it, you can't do it, you're crazy. And... I think my wife was just about to leave me as well. <laughs> wow. So you're coming out, because it was a six-rounder, wasn't it? It was six-round, uh, but it was, it was only two minutes. It was only two-minute rounds. Um, uh, but I, I tell you what, it was, out of all my boxing fights, and even though I lost that one, um, that was the most exhilarating. And that's, if, if there was only one fight that I could do over and over again, it'd be that one. It wouldn't yeah. be the other fights, besides maybe winning the New Zealand title the last time, because obviously the result was cool. But just... You know, you know, when they put a twenty thousand dollar knockout bonus uh, on a fight, and you're fighting Shane Cameron, um, it's real. And you know, the fight after that, uh, when I went the distance with Shane and I ran and I had a strategy in, in, in place and so on, and Lolo Hamuli was an important part of that. The very next fight, he knocked out Monty Barrett in the second round, knocked him out cold. And he's a beast too. <laughs> and he's a world-rated guy that's beaten David Two and everyone else. So it was awesome, man. It was just. Exhilarate. I remember going out there and I was out there first and I was waiting in the ring for a while and then that song comes on, The Gambler, which is Shano's song, and um, every time now when it comes on, I just have a little chuckle and a little laugh and I was thinking, shit, what have I got myself into? And, you know, everyone um, thought I was going to get knocked out and um, or get hurt and uh, it was so much fun. You know, we were just, I was on the bike, I had a strategy in place and um, didn't get the result, but still to this day, people still come to me and thought that I won that fight. Yeah. Uh, I said, no, 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 I didn't, didn't actually win because it was just everyone was just happy for the underdog. Um, is that, is that the good entertainment? Is that when you box your best, when you've got no expectations, you know, at all, that you've, you're fighting someone that's one of New Zealand's best ever fighters, that everyone expects you to lose, so you've got really nothing to lose? 
Yeah. It wasn't until I came back out of retirement the next time to fight Carlos Spence and these other guys for real is until I actually learned how to box. Even at that stage when I was fighting Shane, I didn't really know a lot about boxing. Mm. Um, and that's when I had that, that two weeks with Lulahan Muli, who was just amazing. Lulahan Muli's trained uh, probably 200 champions in his time. He is renowned for um, as a strike coach. Um, he, you know, like the, the Ray Siffles, the Mark Hunts, and all these people of the okay. world, he's... He's amazing, and um, he had a strategy in place, and he looked after me. And, and when I came back out of retirement after that fight um, to fight again, he actually showed me the, the art of boxing, and it's wonderful, and it's uh, it's a chess match. It's a physical chess match, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, but at that stage, I don't know how I didn't get knocked out, really, because I didn't know a hell of a lot. But um, I love challenges, and I was telling my kids on the program about, you know, a real challenge is, is something that uh, you don't know what the outcome is going to be. You know, people can say they challenge themselves every time, but it's not really a challenge. Um, and this was a challenge, man. And although I lost on, um, by points, um, it, was, it was it was a great feeling. Yeah, I know you cover a lot of the the boxing. You've done a lot of Joseph Parker's fights. What do you think of the fight coming up with Anthony Joshua? Oh, look, it's it's a hard one. Like I, I know I know Joseph Parker quite well. Um, we went to the same school early on when he was eighteen. I I, I try to introduce him to a few people, brought along to some of our golf days and everything else, and I, and I train him every now and again. Uh, fitness, not, not, not boxing. Yep. Uh, but, look, he, he, he's up against it. There's, there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, you've got a guy who is an absolute beast. Uh, Joseph Parker's six foot four, but he's not a big heavyweight. He's not mm. a tall heavyweight. Uh, you've got a guy who's six, 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 seven, who's got a 15-centimetre reach on you, who has got up off the ground to beat one of the greatest heavyweights of all time. Uh, so the sense of belief and, and, and power that he's got coming into this fight with 70,000 people, a lot of them probably behind him, is huge. Do you think, from what I see, I see that Joseph, over his last few opponents, he's a lot better than him, but I think he's boxing down to their level a little bit. Do you think yeah. having to step it up and actually know that you've got one of the great champions in front of you, do you think we'll see a new gear out of uh, out of Joseph as well. Yeah, very good point, man. And, and I, you know, it's like that. And it's a, the Shane Cameron fight for me. You, you step up because you can't be complacent because you, you, you know, if you put a foot wrong, you're in trouble. And you also know that the whole world is watching you yeah. for this. And 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 you know, someone's always got to go. Um, and and you are fighting potentially one of the, the great heavyweights of all time in five to ten years' time if he can keep doing what he's doing now. Um, you know, so the element of uh, fear, uh, fear of losing, fear of letting um, both countries down, New Zealand and uh, Samoa, that will all be on um, Joseph's shoulders. It will be a burden. Uh, but I know he's training hard in camp over there in Vegas. You see it on Instagram um, stories and everything else. But it's, it is going to be a big ask. Um, but, you know, maybe Joseph likes it. Um, he's got a very strong chin. Um, he's never been stopped in the amateurs. He's never been put down, even in the pros. Uh, but in the heavyweight division, um, you, you know, no one's really got a strong chin with the, 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 the amount of power uh, yeah, exactly that these right. guys uh, have got in, in, in either hand. Okay, Mike, just a couple of personality questions to wrap things up. In terms of where you like playing your footy, take Mount Smart Stadium away. What was your favourite venue to play at? Suncorp, man. Suncorp against the Broncos was uh, my dream because I love the Broncos um, playing and Suncorp, obviously the history there with Lang Park and uh, the big, you know, 
wicked enclosed stadium that it is uh, makes it great, and and you really feel like you're playing in a big game when that's there and, and playing. Yeah, fantastic. I'm going to take you back to your childhood. What posters did you have on your bedroom wall growing up? Um, I don't think I, I can remember too many, but back then there was the RTR countdowns and stuff, so there's a few musicians and stuff, but <laughs> obviously one of my favourite ones was Bruce Lee, man. He yeah, was the nice. master, the legend, and um, I had one of, of him, Iconic. Nice. All right, final question. You're going to be hosting a private dinner party. You've got five invites. Now, only rules, no family or friends, but you can invite anyone dead or alive. Who would you like to invite? Um, Bruce Lee, Muhammad Ali, um, definitely those two. So I've got three more, right? You're three more. Uh, yeah, Jesus, it's, it's normally three people, not five. See, you're going to throw me off. And I, I guess we need <laughs> we need a bit of chat plus also some entertainment. So Pink, the singer, we'll yeah. get her along. Okay. She'll be good. Um, Barack Obama, mm-hmm. we'll get in there. That's four. And uh, the last one. I don't know. It's that that that's. That, I'm just trying to think. You put me on the spot, man. Uh, the last <laughs> one. Mm, Bruce Lee. I can't think right now, man. <laughs> um. Oh. Oh. I've got some entertainment. Well, Mike, I really appreciate you joining me on the show. Before I let you leave, everyone get following Monty. Facebook, he's Monty Beatham Official. Instagram, Monty Beatham. Twitter, Monty Beatham 13. And most importantly, check out his website, www.stepsforlife.co.nz. Now, Mont, if anyone wants to train with you and things like that, do you take people as well? Oh, look, I'm not doing a hell of a lot of that, but if you get through to me, um, uh, direct messages and that, and depending on who you are in terms of... Uh and, and what I'm doing, look, I, I, I try and give you a hand because uh, I just like sharing the love, the tough love. Yeah, It's a bit sure. of fun. Hey, Tristan, man, it's been a pleasure talking, bro. I really appreciate it. Eh? Absolute it's, pleasure, it's, man. It's been fun. And, guys, that was the episode with Monty Beatham. If you loved it, please share it with your family and friends. Tag me on any posts, Twitter or Facebook. I'm at Talking with TK. Instagram, I'm at Tristan Nell. So please get in touch or email Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. As I mentioned, a lot of superstars on the way in in the coming weeks, so please subscribe. Socceroos captain Mila Yeninak is going to be making an appearance. Former Sydney Swans legend Wayne Swass. The NRL boys, Mark Hughes, Joe Williams, Robbie Paul will all be making an appearance, as well as Tim Zhu, Dorian Yates, and Paul Rabel. So it's a busy, busy schedule ahead. Don't miss a thing. Like I said, subscribe by iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, or find it all online. I really appreciate you all joining me for today's episode. I hope you loved it as much as I did. I'm Tristan Cannell, and this was Talking with TK.